Welcome back to another episode of Employment Law Problems, where I, your host, Brett Hollebeck, discuss some of the most pressing labor and employment law problems facing companies, human resource representatives, and supervisors in the workplace today. In this episode, we'll be talking about employee handbooks. We'll be talking about why everybody should have an employee handbook and what provisions you may want to consider putting within your employee handbook. And with that, let's go to the first part of this episode. Employee handbooks. Why does your company need one? What are they? Why are they so important? Well, an employee handbook is really your company's set of rules and requirements for employees within that position. So it is imperative that all companies have an employee handbook. Really, there's no company too small to have one because it lets employees know what is expected of them. It lets employees know what is the rules that they need to follow in the workplace, how they can report a complaint, what will happen if they need to take time off, how much time off they will get. It's basically the go-to guide for employees' questions. And it also provides them with notice about your workplace rules in case you need to discipline the employees later on. So it is something that is critical for all employers to have, and especially, you know, right now. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of changes in the workplace. We're seeing more and more regulations that are being issued by the National Labor Relations Board that are going to affect employee handbooks. And we're seeing more and more employees become concerned about what what are their rights in the workplace? What kind of things can they do? What kind of things can they not do? And employees, some of them are doing things that y- you could discipline them for. And other employees are doing things that they cannot be disciplined for. And it's important for employees to have an understanding of what is and what isn't required. And the only way to do that, the only way to give them any kind of guidance is to put in your employee handbook. That's the best place for you to set your message of what you expect for employees in a proactive manner. So with that, we're going to be talking about what kind of things you should have within your employee handbook. Again, it is imperative. It's something that you will use in any charge against your company, discrimination charge against your company. It's something that you'll use as evidence in a lot of you know, FLSA claims, depending upon how you paid employees and depending upon whether you were clear and how employees were going to be paid, if they're paid properly, improperly. It's just a really great resource in any lawsuit and it presents a really good defense for you in a lot of claims. So with that being said, we're going to talk about the provisions. We're really focusing on what provisions you should have in your employee handbooks. It really is something that's necessary for every company. And if you are growing, there are certain times when you want to review your employee handbooks. When you move from, you know, 14 to 15 employees, that's a critical point to re-examine your handbook because a lot of employment laws trigger when you reach 15 or more employees. When you get to 50 employees, that is another critical stage when you want to examine your handbook because there's probably going to be some applicability of other laws like the Family Medical Leave Act. Now, depending upon where your employees are based and and how your workforce is set up, that rule may apply. And you may need to offer family medical leave to employees. And again, as you get bigger and bigger, you want to examine your handbook to make sure that all employees are consistent. When you have employees in more than one state, that's another time you want to re-examine your handbook. When you have employees that are working remotely and some are working in person, that's again, another time you want to examine your handbook and see what rules you're requiring for various employees. So let's go through some of the provisions 
that all companies should have within their handbook or should at least consider. And we're going to go through these kind of in an alphabetical way. So the very first policy is an anti-discrimination policy or what's often referred to as an equal employment opportunity policy. And this is basically a policy that just lets employees know that you're not going to tolerate discrimination in the workplace based on any protected characteristic, race, sex, uh, color, national origin, religion, gender, gender identity, pregnancy, sexual orientation, disability, age, and citizenship status. So it's an anti-discrimination policy. It's a critical piece of your employee handbook. And again, it's something that you will use if you ever get sued or if someone is alleging discrimination. An absence and attendance policy. How does your absence, uh, how do absences work? Who do employees need to speak with if they're going to be absent? How soon do they need to report into work or report to work? How much prior to the beginning of their shift do they need to inform the employer that they're not going to be making it into the, to the office? So you need a consistent policy to ensure that employees are treated the same. It's critical that all employees are, in fact, treated the same and no one's treated differently. Background checks are another one. Is your company going to run background checks on employees? You usually want to have this information in the offer letter as well, but it may be useful if you're having more than one background check, if you have to do, for whatever reason, additional background checks on employees on a regular basis. You want to maybe put that in your handbook as well for if it applies for most of your employees. COBRA, you know, there should be a policy giving the initial COBRA notice to employees and addressing COBRA with employees. Even though COBRA, for those of you that may not be aware of what it is, that is the option to extend your health care coverage essentially after the end of your employment. So if you're let go from the company, you can extend your healthcare coverage through COBRA. It does cost more typically because the employee is paying the full price, but it is an option for employees. A confidentiality policy. Companies should tell employees explicitly that they are expected to keep confidential information secret. Should define what that means. What is confidential information? Is it your all your proprietary information, your trade secrets, customer lists, all those things. You may also want to lay out the procedures that employees must follow to keep information confidential. How are you ensuring that employees don't access prohibited areas of the um, prohibited materials? But not only that, you want to also make sure that they know how to share confidential information. If that employee shares your pricing information with a bunch of customers and posts it online and it's public, it's no longer confidential. How do they need to treat confidential information to maintain the confidentiality is just as important as saying that information must be kept confidential and explaining what information must be kept confidential. Discipline, an obvious one. You want to have a discipline policy within your handbook that describes what provisions, what, what actions employees can't commit. Typically, you may have a list of offenses. Sometimes you have a a progressive discipline policy where it goes through various stages from verbal, written, verbal warning, written warning, suspension, termination. Sometimes you don't have a progressive discipline policy, but you want to lay out how the disciplinary system works. Is there a point system? What What is going to happen? And I didn't get into detail with this, but 
attendance issues often are one of the most common discipline issues as well. So in your attendance policy, you may outline the point system of how many points you accrue for a tardy, what is a tardy, what is an absence, and that applies to your discipline system as well because you're going to discipline those employees for those absences. But the discipline uh, process is really important to lay out clearly and explicitly of what offenses, what you know rules you have in the workplace because then if an employee violates one of those rules, you can go back and cite the rule. So if you rule against offensive language in the workplace and that employee violates it and they're insubordinate as well, and you have a rule against insubordination, you can say you violated our rules against insubordination and offensive language in the workplace, whatever that may mean. Disability is another provision you want to have in your handbooks. Disability provision. So it should have the process for requesting disability accommodation, and you want to outline that pretty explicitly within your handbook. And you want to make sure that employees understand how they can inform the employer of the request for disability accommodation. Drug testing. Drug testing is another one, another obvious one. You want to outline how you will drug test, when you will drug test, and what kinds of drug tests you may have for employees. Now, this is a provision that sometimes makes more sense in an employee agreement than an employee handbook. Because you may have employees that are drug tested, and you may have employees that aren't drug tested, and you may have employees that have to be drug tested more frequently. Um, if somebody's subject to Department of Transportation rules, there are different rules for them than there may be for somebody that's just a janitor at your work site. And if there are, are reasons for those differences in rules, that's fine. You can have those differences in how you apply your policies and policies applying to different people if there's a specific reason for it, you're not singling somebody out because of some subjective factor. People in safety sensitive positions often have increased drug testing or maybe different kinds of drug testing. And again, that's okay. But you wanna outline whether you're gonna have pre-employment, post-accident, reasonable suspicion drug testing, random drug testing. And again, you need to look at what's permissible for various employees within the workplace. Employee assistance programs. An employee assistance program is a program that offers services and counseling for employees with employment and typically performance or personal problems, often their alcohol and substance abuse problems. So you want to outline that this is an option for employees to seek help. And this is a benefit for employees. This is something you want them to use because they're often included with a company's group insurance policies and if you can resolve the issue for the employee, you now have a productive employee and it's it's a much better situation for the company. Employee reimbursement policies. How do employees seek reimbursement? What does that process look like? That's an important outline in the handbook. You wanna have a statement that all employees are employed at will, unless subject to some other contract or something like that. This is a common provision that a lot of companies wanna consider, but it's something that most handbooks have because of the necessity of making sure you're not creating any kind of contractual relationship with the employees. So these are, again, all provisions you want to consider. And as always, you want to speak with an attorney about whether or not these provisions make sense for your company. Because again, not giving legal advice here, we're just going through some common workplace provisions in various handbooks. And you know your work situation may be different than a different company's work situation, and there may be different requirements. So it's very important that you get the best and accurate information on what rules and regulations apply to you.
Family Medical Leave Act. You want to have an FMLA policy if you're subject to the FMLA, if you meet the requirements for the FMLA. To meet those requirements, you have to have at least 50 or more employees to be subject to those requirements. And there are a number of other requirements. So a covered employer, you know, you got to have those 50 or more employees. There are requirements for employees to be subject to the FMLA. So they have to be employed by a covered employer and work at a work site within 75 miles of which the employer employs at least 50 people. They have to have worked at least 12 months, which doesn't have to be consecutive for the employer. And they have to have worked at least 1,250 hours during the 12 months immediately prior to the date for FMLA leave. Fitness for duty. This policy is useful if there are physical or other requirements that must be met for an employee to perform their job duties in a safe manner. So you want to make sure you have a fitness for duty provision if there are any physical requirements for the position or other requirements. And, you know, fitness for duty examinations and policies are something that is very easy to mess up. And a lot of companies have fitness for duty tests that are not objective. They're not examined by an industrial psychologist, so they're not necessarily accurate. And they're very hard to, to prove in court and defend in court. So again, if you have a fitness for duty test, this is a major area of compliance concern for a lot of companies and something you may need to think about in more detail. A firearms policy. So, you know, this is, I, I practice in Texas, and this is one of the unique things about Texas and a few other states. So in Texas, individuals in many work sites can leave their firearms in a company parking lot, provided that they're not under one of the exceptions. And there are certain certain work sites where employers can prohibit employees from bringing firearms in the, onto the work site. But most of them, you can bring a firearm in your parked vehicle on the company property. So if that company has a parking lot, you park your car, you leave your firearm in the car, you know, secured, you're, you're allowed to do that. And they can't prohibit you. The company can't prohibit you from doing that. Now, again, there are certain areas where that's not permissible. You know, probably many of the ones that you would consider. But, you know, there are, you want to check and make sure you don't fall into one of those exceptions. Garnishment. So you may need a policy or want a policy letting employees know that when their wages may be garnished and how garnishments are handled. Oftentimes, this is also used with a corresponding policy that the employee will actually sign and kind of a garnishment agreement if there's a need to do that. Grooming and uniform policies, dress policies, pretty obvious one. What's the required dress code? What do employees need to wear? Will you reimburse for these expenses? How does it work? Harassment. You want a policy stating that the company will not tolerate harassment in the workplace? Companies may also want to clarify and explain how they prevent harassment. What is your complaint reporting procedure? How do employees come with you if they have a concern? Who do they go to? Is there more than one person to go to? Hours of work. Obviously, when you have shift work or other work, you may want to include an hours of work provision. Inclement weather, bad weather policy. You want a policy that lets employees know what to do when they can't make it into work. If it's you know a hurricane, you live in Texas. If it's a snowstorm, if it's a blizzard, if it's a natural disaster, 
if there's just some other major problems, some other weather-related problem, tornado, hurricane, whatever it might be, employees need to know what to do. They need to know how to let you know that they will not be able to make it into the to work. So you need a policy that explains what to do when there's inclement weather. How will the employees be informed that the work site is going to be shut down for that day? Is there a supervisor that's going to issue calls to the employees? What, what should they expect? Internet and email use policy. What will employees be allowed to do on company computers? You know, are there going to be certain websites that are blocked? How will emails be handled? What does this policy look like? Investigations. What's the process the company will use to conduct workplace investigations? How will the company conduct the investigation? Is there an appeal process? Will the investigation be confidential? Uh, what will happen at the conclusion of the investigation? Will you issue a report? How do you, you know, approach the company and submit a complaint? Something that needs to be investigated, who can you talk to? There should be more than one person to talk to. Another policy, jury duty policy. Whether Will the company pay or not pay the employees for jury duty? What will happen if the employee finishes jury duty before the end of the day slash their shift? What do they do? How do they handle that situation if they have jury duty? A layoff and recall policy. How will companies conduct a layoff or recall of employees? Will it be by seniority? Seniority within a position. So all the mechanics level two are going to go by seniority from mechanics level two. Is there going to be bumping rights? Somebody going to be able to be bumped um, if they are more senior into a lower level job? Leave issues is another major policy. Military leave, disability leave, maternity leave. How are you going to handle the various types of leave that you may be required to give under the law? You are for these ones. How are you going to handle those requirements for leave? Meal and rest breaks. You want a policy addressing when employees will have meal breaks, how they take a meal break, what's the parameters around meal break and rest breaks. A moonlighting policy. This is another one you want to consider. Will you have a policy that prevents employees from getting a different job? Can they get a different job? Are you going to try to prohibit that? This is something the National Labor Relations Board is looking into very closely. And it will probably be not permissible under the National Labor Relations Act, if I were to guess. But that hasn't happened yet. But those of you that have a handbook, and it hasn't been renewed since Biden took office, now is a great time to get your handbooks renewed. Because there are a lot of things changing. Anytime there's a new president, that's another good time to, to review your handbook if you're not reviewing it annually, which is the best practice, you want to at least do it, you know, hopefully every couple of years. If not that, at least when every you know, time there's a new president or there's a major policy change, off-duty conduct. You want to remind employees that they can be disciplined and terminated for their off-duty conduct. If a, a group of coworkers goes out and gets drunk at a bar after work and the employees engage in some kind of dispute, make sexual comments, banter, whatever it is, that is conduct that you're probably going to discipline employees for because you should if it gets reported back to you and there's a problem. An office romance and dating policy. How will you address employees dating? Are there certain employees that will not be able to date, especially supervisors and you know 
their employees underneath them, you need a policy that addresses that. On-call pay. So is there any kind of on-call pay for employees? That's something to address. Again, not specific to every workplace, but important to a lot of places. An open door policy or suggestions policy. How do employees come forward with any kind of suggestions for improvement in the workplace? What do they do? How do they how do they bring that to your attention? You want to have a policy that lets them know how they can raise concerns. You want to be soliciting concerns as well, but you want a policy or some kind of explanation of how they can bring concerns to your attention. An onboarding policy, incredibly important to make sure that employees become effective quickly. How will you onboard new employees? What will you do? Overtime, you want to make sure that you address overtime in your handbook. Make it clear that employees will receive overtime if they're hourly and they meet the requirements, whatever it might be, they're going to get overtime and that all overtime must be approved before they take it. Payday. Make sure you include when the payday is going to be, especially if you're going to give it on a different day of the week or some kind of different pay structure than the employee may be used to. Are you paying twice a month? Are you paying every other week? Are you paying on a specific day of the month? How are you paying employees? They want to know what a work week is too. Is your work week different than the calendar week? Promotions, a policy regarding how employees will be promoted. Is there a lockstep promotion system? Are they automatically promoted from, you know, engineer one to engineer two after so many years of service or meeting certain tests or whatever? How do employees get promoted, especially in those promotions that are kind of moving from within the same job or very similar jobs, but different levels of the same job? That's something you want to outline. Reemployment, an optional policy. Is there an option for employees to get reemployed if they leave the company? A reference policy. This is something that some employers can include in their handbooks, but not all. What will happen if an employee leaves? Will they get a reference? How will you address the reference request? Retaliation policies. You want to make it clear that you will not retaliate against an employee or tolerate retaliation against employees for reporting discrimination, harassment, and other workplace problems. You want to make it clear that these employees can safely report their concerns to you. Which brings us to another big topic of employee handbooks. Some companies have their own handbook devoted totally to this issue. And some companies have multiple you know, provisions and policies devoted to this issue outside the handbook. Safety. Safety. You should have a policy addressing safety in the workplace. It is a highly specific policy. It's going to differ based on the business, based on the jobs, and something you want to consider. We talked about harassment, but you want to also make sure you address sexual harassment within your employee handbook. What is sexual harassment? How can employees report sexual harassment? And what can they do if they feel that those concerns aren't being addressed? Who can they report that to that oftentimes, or a lot of times, the harasser may be their manager or a supervisor, and they can't follow the normal chain of command. They need somebody else they can report to. Your employee handbook should have an email or another contact for them to report information like this to. Smoking. You want a policy addressing smoke breaks and when smoke breaks may occur at the work site. How many smoke breaks they get? 
a remote work policy. It's important to let employees know how remote work will operate. We're living in this remote work world right now where there's a lot of telecommuting. But how will you address employees that want to work off-site? Are there special requirements for these employees? And this is all going to be very specific to your business. A vacation, sick leave, PTO policy. How will you address employees' leave? How much vacation will they get? How much sick leave will they get? If they get do they get vacation sick leave or do they just get PTO? Work-related injuries. You want to let employees know that they should always, always, always report work-related injuries. But you want to make sure they know the procedure. What is the procedure for reporting the injury to management? You want to make sure you reiterate that companies require all employees. The company requires employees to report these workplace injuries. These are important policies, again, to consider. Not everybody includes these in your handbook. It's imperative that you talk to, you know, an attorney or whoever may be preparing your handbook to get the best idea of how to structure it for your company because each of these is going to be very specific to the to your company, to your business. Work rules. The last one's kind of a catch-all. Are there any other work-related rules that are specific to your business that aren't things that are present in a lot of businesses? Again, there's a lot of things to consider when developing a handbook. As I reiterated before, nothing in this podcast is legal advice. It's just something for you to consider. If you are drafting an employee handbook, I recommend that you do seek counsel or, you know, purchase a handbook online and review it with counsel if you're going to go down that route to ensure your handbook is compliant because all of these policies require to be, have to be tailored to your company tailor to your business. There's no such thing as a completely perfect off-the-shelf employee handbook. So it's something you need to think about and review closely to ensure that you are not providing more benefits than you want to that aren't necessary or not enough benefits or not clear about the rules of the workplace. And it's just something that's critical for all businesses to have. Every business benefits both the employer and the employee from a handbook. The employer benefits by having clear rules that they can reference and discipline and the time, hopefully, that can be saved for the employer by the employee having clear explanations of what is expected of them and what benefits they get, whether it's vacation, PTO, whatever. And for the employee as well, they don't have to have the fear of talking to a boss or manager or waiting to get their question answered. The handbook has most of that information for them, and they can go there first. And with that, we're going to go to the last part of this episode. That concludes another episode of Employment Law Problems. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and you got something out of it. If you did, I really hope that you like and subscribe to the podcast. And again, I just want to reiterate that nothing in this podcast should be considered legal advice. If you need a lawyer, you should hire one. Thank you so much, and we'll catch you in the next episode.